following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. How's that? Better? Like I was saying, well, okay. Well, um, we're very happy to be back uh, after a week at uh, Mechanic Falls for a camp meeting. Um, it's a great, great week. Um, we really enjoyed the n- nightly services there at camp while we were gone um, and fellowship with lots of old friends and make some new friends as well. The speaker um, at the camp meeting was uh, Coach uh, Gene Peters. He's uh, a wonderful old friend. I used to work for him when I was in college painting. Um, old Hick from the hills of Virginia, he'd tell you. And he's real funny, a wonderful. Um, um, and a <coughs> good report, uh, two of the campers uh, in the teen camp gave their lives to Christ uh, during the week, which is wonderful. And one of the campers was baptized uh, at the end of camp, which is terrific. Um, so we praise the Lord for that. And I know that Mechanic Falls is a trek from here, uh, like an hour and a half drive. But I would encourage everybody to consider visits next year. They have service every night and things go on, Bible studies and stuff during the day. Uh, you can rent a room or you can tent out or bring your camper, stay for a night or for a whole week. Um, camping is great. But I'm not here to sell you on camp, so maybe we'll talk about something else. We're going to look to the Lord and to his word this morning, all right? Let's pray together. Um, Father, again, we're so thankful for your great love for us. We thank you that you loved us enough to die for us, to take our uh, place on the cross, to bear our sin upon your own shoulders, that we could be forgiven and the penalty paid for our sin. We thank you, Lord, for your word that you have given so that we can know you, and not just know about you, but to experience your presence and listen to your words to us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that brings your word to life. We pray now that your spirit would be at work as we look at your word, that you would fix the words between my mouth and your people's ears this morning, that you would soften our hearts to receive your message. That we love you, and we thank you in, it. in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're back in Philippians, um, in chapter 4, and we're going to look at the entire verse 2 and 3. Um, so that's a page 982 in a few Bible, uh, if that's helpful to you, and I think they'll have it up on the screen as well. I'd like to thank Mr. Aaron for bringing the word last week and for the challenge. Um, for us to deepen our commitment to spiritual growth. Uh, That's a theme that we're going to continue this week in Philippians. Uh, So let's look at that together. (coughs) Philippians 4, verses 2 and 3. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers 
whose names are in the book of life. Now, what a sad weekend for the Clements to be away when we mention their name in Scripture, and they're not here to hear it. They're not Skyping in or whatever they were doing on the FaceTime or whatever. Oh, well. So, we're not here to talk about them anyway. We're here to talk about Yodia and Syntyche. Now, what do we know about to speak a Greek words? Say it with confidence. It doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. Nobody's, else, nobody's going to know. Because syntyche is not how you say that word. Not in Greek. It's suntuki. But that sounds goofy. So, why is make a U sound in Greek? Anyway, it doesn't matter. These two women that uh, we know almost nothing about. Um, except from what we read here in these first two verses. Um, they're not mentioned anywhere else in Paul's letters or anywhere else in Scripture. We don't know anything about them. What we do know is they were fellow laborers with Paul in the gospel. Now, how that worked out in real life, like, what does that mean? These are women, and, and of course, Paul prohibits them to preach or have authority over men. So how did this work out uh, in real life? Well, we don't know. We can only speculate. And as far as our discussion for this morning is concerned, it holds no relevance whatsoever. So we don't need to worry about it this morning. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying for our discussion today, it's not relevant. We only know that they were fellow workers with Paul. What is important is that they were at odds with each other about something. And instead of striving together for the gospel as they once did, they were striving against each other. I think there are a couple of things that we can learn from this example of life within the early church. That's why I really wanted to preach on seven verses this morning, but I could only get through two. So unless you didn't have plans for lunch, um, we could go through all seven. I think two is enough. So... <coughs> couple things we need to learn about here. The first is that conflict is bound to happen. I don't know if you've ever experienced conflict before, ever heard of it. It's bound to happen. Now, it's not just, uh, not just in the life outside these walls. Conflict is bound to happen within the church. Paul is talking to people within the church. Not just, hey, how come you don't get along with your neighbor? Uh, he's talking about how come you not get along with your brother or sister in Christ. Anytime you put more than one person in one place, conflict is bound to arise. Sometimes you don't even need two people. Um, thank you. Let it roll. Let it, uh, let it wash over you. Yeah, I think we need to spend a little more time in prayer. Now, I can, I can only speak for myself, uh, but I have too often held up the early church as like, the perfect example. Like they got it all right, and we, if we just follow their example, we'll get it right. They're perfect. Uh, well, all you have to do is read, I don't know, a verse or two of the New Testament, and you see that's not true. Scripture says otherwise. In fact, most of the New Testament was written to correct errors within the church. And here in our text, we have just one of hundreds of examples. So this is why we focus on just this this morning. 
Conflict existed within the early church. And not just from outside or from false teachers seeking to lead people astray either, but from people who maybe just saw things differently or maybe from unrepented sin or conflicts of interest or simply just a misunderstanding. The point is that conflict happened within the early church family. So we should not be at all surprised when it happens within our own church family. The real trick is how we deal with it. Now the first step in dealing with conflict is to deal with it. You can't. I thought that was funny. <laughs> conflict resolution is obviously important. Here it is in a scripture. Right? These two women were called out by the Apostle Paul, by name, and it was recorded in the Bible, okay, forever. God's eternal word, right, to me, makes the idea of conflict resolution fairly significant, a little, little important. I don't think I'd want to go down in history as known for being disagreeable or disagreeing with someone else, but these two ladies were. It must have been bad enough to get his attention. He was a long ways away. Now, I think <clears throat> I think, probably the reason we might think that it must have been pretty bad is because our tendency as people is to ignore conflict or to avoid it. Just gloss it over, right? Or worse yet, worse than that, we feed it and allow it to grow. And that's not a good thing. Now... Of course, the, the way that I kind of thought about this idea of conflict resolution is as a wood turner, I think of sanding. You're familiar with sanding. You sand paper, right? I don't like sanding, <coughs> but it's, uh, it's messy, and it's sometimes I put a sandpaper on a piece of wood spinning at high speed. It gets hot and burns my fingers. I don't like that. It's messy, it's painful, it's a pain, but it's necessary. <clears throat> now, when I've turned a piece of wood, whether it's a bat or a bowl or whatever, uh, the surface of the wood off the tool can only get so smooth. Uh, I'm not a professional, so I don't get this nice, beautiful result right off my cutting tool. I have to resort to sanding to get the surface free from tool marks. Uh, and defects before I can say that uh, piece is finished. Now you put a sanded bowl on the table and you put an unsanded bowl on the table. Somebody's going to want one of them, and I'll tell you, it's not the unsanded one because they're all rough. Now, when I started the process of sanding, I usually have to take a very coarse grit of sandpaper because I'm not a very good turner. We start with like a 60 or 80 grit, and it looks like sand on a piece of paper. Some of you woodworkers know what I'm talking about. Like I start with 60 or 80 grit. It takes a lot of material away and removes the tool marks and tear out left from the tools. And then I have to work up the grits. They say work it through the grits. 80, 100, 150, 200, 300, 400, even 600. Getting finer and finer until the wood is completely smooth and free from defects and ready for finish. I'm sure this is all why you came to church this morning. To learn about the sanding. I'm going to tell you about it anyway. doesn't matter. 
The purpose of progressing up through these grits, getting finer and finer and finer, is to eliminate the scratches left by the previous grit. The 80 grit takes out all the tool marks. The first, first grit you grab, that rough, coarse grit, it takes out all the tool marks. But then you have to use a finer grit to take out the scratches left from the 80. And then you have to get the finer grit to take out the scratches from the 100 and the 150 and the 220. Okay, does it make sense? Until there's no scratches left. Now for me, I'm impatient. And the temptation is to rush through the grits and even skip over grits just to get it done faster. Right? Get a finish on it so you can set it on the table so everybody can ooh and ah over it. Look what you made. I can't believe it. I made a, a lumpy piece of wood round. Awesome, right? It's a mis- it used to be called sorcery. Uh, now, <coughs> in medieval times, I'm, I wish I was joking, but it's not. It's a mystery. Now, the problem with rushing through your grits or skipping grits is that you can ignore the scratches left by the sandpaper and just rush through and leave those scratches behind. If you don't get out the 80 grit scratches with the 100 grit, you're not going to get them out with the 150 grit or the 220 grit, or the 320 grit, they're going to stay there. You might have a nice shiny piece that's smooth to the touch, but you'll always, always, always see the scratches. Ignoring scratches left from sandpaper doesn't make them go away. You put a nice shiny coat on there, slap a finish on, you put it on an un- put finish on an unfinished piece doesn't make it a finished piece makes it a shiny piece of garbage because it's not good. It's not done. You have to deal with the scratches. Let's close in prayer. (laughs) Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 15 through 17, mark this down. You got a notepad? Mark this down. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. You don't have a notepad? Write it on your arm. Matthew 18, 15 to 17. Here's how we deal with our scratches. Jesus said, If your brother sins against you, that's Adelphoi, brother or sister, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Did you mark that down? Matthew 15, uh, 18, 15 through 17. If there is a conflict between you and another brother or sister, what do you do? Go tell everybody else. No? No. Go, just find people that will agree with you. Right? That's how we do it. If there is a conflict between you and another brother or sister, no matter how small, we don't ignore it, we don't gloss over it, we don't slap a finish on it and call it finished, we go to them. We try to work it out. We don't ignore it. It's not always huge issues. Sometimes it's just little scratches. But the scratches need to be dealt with. See how Paul matches uh, Jesus' instructions in Matthew with his letter to the Philippians. 
First, Jesus said, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. What's verse 2 say? I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Get together, work it out. Now, this doesn't mean, like I said, go and collect all the people who take your side. Right? Start collecting ammo to use against them to assassinate their character. And, of course, everybody's going to agree with you because they're a jerk. Right? They're wrong, you're right. That's not how we do it. That's not how it works in God's family. Go to them. They are your family. Work it out. At least try. So what that means in practical sense, if you come to me and say, look, uh, Pastor, I have this issue with so-and-so. They did this or did that. I say, whoa, whoa, whoa. let me ask you a question first. Yeah, have you talked to them about it? Well, no, no, no. I wanted to get your opinion. Here's my opinion. Stop talking to me. Go talk to them. Start there. All right? If you haven't talked to them about it, if you haven't already gone to them to try to work it out, you shouldn't be talking to me. You shouldn't be talking to anybody. I'm, I'm on your side, but I'm not going to take sides. Okay? Go to them first. Yodia, Sidiki. Work it out together. <clears throat> Jesus said, but if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And what's Paul say? Verse 3. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. Now, Paul invokes the help of Zizigus, the most fun name to say in the Bible, Zizigus. It's actually Zuzigus. <laughs> right? Well, you know, it, the word means a true yoke fellow. That's why it's translated true companion. Um, he calls on the help of this man to help these two resolve their conflict. Now, whether Zizigus is a person's name or a nickname, we don't really know. He could have just said, Hey, true companion, the guy holding this, read it. Maybe it's an elder in the church there. We're not really sure. It's really not that important for our discussion. What we do know is that sometimes, as Jesus said, we have to involve other trustworthy people in order to resolve our conflicts. Now, he doesn't say go and find all the people that are on your side and start your own little, whatever you call that, clunge of people and, and go get them. And prove they're wrong. That's not it. Sometimes we just need a moderator for our discussion. Sometimes we just need an impartial person to hear both sides of the story and help us work it out. When we can't come to agreement on our own. We need help sometimes to work it out. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 17, If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, okay, so this is fun. You got a problem with somebody come a Sunday morning, say, hey, stop his service. That person is a jerk, and this is what they did to me. Okay? So that's what we're going to do from now on. Doesn't sound like fun to you. All right. Well, maybe it's not the right way. Okay, we'll do it your way. It doesn't mean you stand up on Sunday morning in the service to air the dirty laundry. 
but to come to the elders. That's what we're here for. Let's sit down and talk it out. Try to work through it together. Okay? You have a conflict you just can't resolve together, even with someone else to help. Come to the elders so we can sit down and talk about it together. Sometimes even that's not enough. Pride chases away humility. Anger chases away forgiveness. And sometimes we have to let people go. We may mourn the loss of a relationship, but treating people, as Jesus said, as a Gentile and a tax collector does not mean we stand in eternal judgment on them and declare them to be unsaved or unregenerate, not born again. Is that how Jesus treated Gentiles and tax collectors? I think you'll find Scripture says something quite different. He loved them. He forgave them, regardless of whether or not they asked for forgiveness. He sought to bring them to faith. Now, when a relationship gets to this place, the least, very least thing that we can do is to forgive. Doesn't mean they've asked us. Doesn't mean you don't have to forgive if they don't ask you. Right? Jesus said, if you don't forgive your brother, my father is not going to forgive you. Okay? Let it go. Forgive and move on. Pray for them. Have a soft heart towards them. We don't write people off. We don't write people off. Even if we can't be around them anymore, lest we make the conflict worse, we don't write people off. Jesus didn't write me off. We had a bigger disagreement. He didn't write you off either. So I guess my one point for this sermon is that conflict is real. It happens. It may be happening right now. But we must not ignore it. We must not feed it. We have to do the messy work of dealing with it. As we are instructed in God's word by the Lord Jesus himself. Because what binds us together is so much more powerful than anything that could drive us apart. It's so much more important. Conflict left unchecked or ignored or even fed and encouraged creates resentment and bitterness and anger and hatred. It destroys relationships. It destroys families. It destroys churches. And it destroys people. So let's do the hard thing and not let that happen to us by God's grace. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, what power is found in these short verses to show that you are concerned about how we get along and whether or not conflict exists and how we ought to deal with it. I pray, Father, 
for anyone here that is in the midst of conflict. I'm sure we all are in one way or another. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would encourage each one here that's dealing with conflict this morning. That they would go to your word, find a way to resolve conflict properly, and get your work. By your grace, may you protect us from the destruction that comes from ignored conflict or exaggerated conflict or conflict that is fed and encouraged. Lord, we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be a church like that. Too many of us have seen it, seen it kill churches and kill relationships. Lord, we don't want that. So help us to be proactive, to find even the smallest things and work it out because those tiny little slights change the way we look at each other, change the way we see each other. Help us to see each other like you see us. It's family in need of forgiveness and love. God, we can't do this without your strength. We need your help. We pray that you'd give it to us. Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know you as Savior and Lord this morning, has no idea what I'm talking about, their conflict is with you. And you have done everything that's necessary to resolve that conflict by your death on the cross. I pray that they would pray those words we said already. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ his Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. May we all receive your forgiveness this morning. We will love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.